Hello and welcome everybody to the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. Join my father and I as we discuss relevant and meaningful ideas and values inspired by the weekly Torah portion. Our goal is to open our discussion to you in the hopes that it will give you something to think and reflect on, as well as be another interesting conversation that you can have with your family, friends, and peers. So let's delve right in. Alrighty, everybody, we're back and better than ever. We were just thinking about with my father here how we decided at this time last year to start our podcast. So it's very cool to be going full circle. Um, and we're going to be starting with the first Parsha of the five books of Moses. Bereshit, in the beginning. Yes. The Muppet Show. The Bereshit. Well... I think what we should talk about tonight at this late hour is um, what stares at, I think, any reader of the Torah in the beginning. And not just modern readers, but medieval readers and ancient readers of the Bible, of the Torah, always were wondering about this mysterious beginning that we're treated to. And it brings to four questions of what's the purpose of writing the Bible? What's the purpose of the Torah? What's the purpose of the five books of Moses? Why would it start in such an obscure place, which is the beginning of time? Right? Because it, it, it begs the question of what is the purpose of the book? If the, if the purpose of the book is to, is to teach you something about life and about living a spiritual existence, why do we need to know? Um, this very detailed description of the beginning of time and the beginning of creation. It, wouldn't have been, it would have been enough to say that God created the world. Mm -hmm. It's fun. Yesterday when I was teaching in Mahon Mayan, um, I was giving this Parsha class, and I just we were just asking questions really for a whole hour. Um, and the, the question basically came up, which is what you're saying, why... Why are we being told how God created the world and in how many days and what he did in each day? Well, and wait, 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 you're going to stop you there. If we were told how God created the world, I think I would be pretty, I would start opening the pages again and look at it like a lot more, a lot different than I have in the last 45 years of my life. But uh, I, it doesn't say how he created the world. Well, because we're not going into mechanics, but it goes into specifics. So they're not the first day he did this, and then the second day he created that, and the third day it was this. And right, well, it makes history out of something that we have no idea. In other words, if you what are we supposed to gain from exactly from, from the details of this? What what, why do I care all this? The detail? sun on the first day or the second day? Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and. What do we deal, I, we're, I know we're going to take on something big now, but how do we deal with uh, reconciling what we know about science today and the Big Bang theory? Oh, I love this. And the biblical description of, is the biblical description contradictory to scientific theory, that there was a gradual process of creation? Um, of course, scientists and biologists um, or not going to be so happy to call it creation. They'll call it whatever they call it. But it's definitely, um, because of scientific discovery, uh, it's been understood not only through carbon dating, but also um, with other scientific methods that for something to exist with such complexity, it needs 
a gagabillion amount of years. It needs a lot, a long time for the solar system to exist for, um, all we know of creation to exist are, especially the human being. If we're going according the human to being, evolution. The brain, right? If, well, not, not if you do, I'm saying this is what it, it, in science is considered to be empirical. It's empirical that things just don't pop. You, you can look at existence today and you can say, let's try to make a, like a colony of bacteria, right? It takes a long time just to do that, right? And, and even if you were going to do that, you, you're not going to be able to create something from nothing, which is, of course, the bigger issue. But even if it was already created for, for things to develop from like a, a single cell ex organism to like a multi-cell organism to much more complex organisms to mush together to create something that, you know, has, uh, uh, you know, plant life, anything, anything that's animate, right, would take millions of years according to the calculation of what science sees today, right? So they, they backtrack and they discover, uh, try to map out history according to their understanding. And that there's what they call different moments in time, which were, represent explosions. They call them explosions as if there was like one big bang, but there was actually other big bangs because they can't find the link from particular moments in a succession of 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 uh, of development of of, the, of organisms in other words you, how do you get from single cell organisms to like multi complex organisms that's it's not very clear how that happens or how you get from plant life to animal life mm -hmm. it's not clear how that happens so they call those moments explosions or the Cambrian explosion. There's different. There's Basically, different, they have come big, up with theories. They come a up with big theories. leap between something to another. Like if you could imagine, like like kind of like the Torah describes. Let's already jump into it. You know, if the Torah describes, well, there was no animals until day number five, really, right? Mm -hmm. There was very basic elements of creation on the first day and the second day. You know, like water, light. And on the third day, <clears throat> there's plant life, right? And um, and on the fourth day, there's right on the fourth day, there's other. <laughs> the fifth day, there's f fish and fowl, right? And then the sixth day, there's so basically you also see this succession, even in the biblical account that more complex organisms come later on in the process, right? But scientists can't figure out how does a bunch of plants that are hanging around, how do they explode into a frog, right? Or something much more, a tadpole, something very, very basic, you know, if you can imagine something very basic animal life. Plankton. Yeah, or some of that fuzzy stuff that flittles around the surface of the oceans, that moves, right? And it procreates, mm -hmm. not in ways that uh, plants do, you know, not not from the ground or asexually, but it's bisexual, etc. All of those things. So, how do they work? So, so that's what I'm saying. That's where the similarity ends. The similarity to the Bible 
is that, well, the Bible also recognizes that complex organisms come later, which is consistent with the scientific understanding, but everything else is pretty much up for grabs. Like, how did it happen? Of course, the major question that really science doesn't deal with is how does it start? By calling it a Big Bang doesn't satisfy really anybody. It's just because we don't know how it started. Right. Um, you'll, I just want to quote here something that Richard Dawkins had said, um, who was a famous um, right, scientist and an evolution, well, he had written about a lot of issues, but he says like this, the illusion of purpose is so powerful that biologists themselves use the assumption of good design as a working tool. So basically what he's saying is that it's very, very tempting to assume that there was actually a design because everything about the creation and the development of life seems to point to a design. Right, so, so a person like Richard Dawkins, who does not want to get anywhere near the idea of a creation or a creator, so he says, you know, the most he'll say is that it's um, the illusion of purpose is so powerful. As if to say there was some purpose of creation. Meaning, what, what he's proposing, what I, the first thing I understood when you read that was that he's com clearly coming from a position that um, there is no real end goal, so to speak. There is no higher purpose to the way things are. There's no greater design. Um, there's just a natural evolution that just kind of continues and leads and does its own thing. It's kind of random and very scientific and without without goal, without a... Without purpose. So without things purpose. happen just because they happen and that's it. And however, he, he recognizes the fact that we as human beings all want to believe that there is meaning and purpose and life and the fact that we're alive. So yeah, therefore... Well, he's really talking to the scientific community. Uh, right, which... so I'm saying, he's saying even people who are scientific will uh, take leaps or maybe assume things that aren't purely scientific because of the need to feel like there is purpose. Okay, you're adding that stuff. He's not even saying that what he's not even surmising as to why people take that leap he just he, he understands obviously that there are people that want to believe in god so they'll take that or whatever but he's talking to the scientific community and he's saying that even even scientists uh which is the book that i'm quoting from which is called the design of life by um dembinsky and wells um those are two scientists from prestigious institutions who argue that the illusion of that uh, purpose in biology is not an illusion, it's actually real. And you're just as, um, you have just as much right to theorize about the purpose of creation um, than you do about the non-purpose of creation. Whatever, you read the books, it's very interesting. I, I, don't, wanna, I don't wanna take uh, a position there because it's very, very vast, the literature and everything, and it's a lot to do with heavy science, which is not something we do in this podcast. But I just want to ask us, you know, another question on the Bible of, <clears throat> besides what are we reading the story of the creation of the world for? Why, what do we get out of it? And like I said, even the ancients or the, the early commentators also asked that question. Really, the Torah is a book of instruction and living life spiritually on a higher plane. So what's the point in talking about at, at length, you know, the creation of the world? 
and not only the creation of the world, but then it becomes like after the creation of the world, you know, different stories about the flood and then etc. etc. So I get once you get to people and like the stories of people, it becomes a little bit easier to explain uh, what the Torah is doing in my in my in, in my book. But to talk about this like theoretical world of non-existence and then there's existence and this is the way it was and then there was a plant and then there was a bird and then there was a like what's the purpose of all that that's really our major question the second question we're asking is how does that square for a person who uh believes uh, or at least wants to be able to reconcile modern science with with this account So um, the second question being, if one believes in in science, does that is that exclusive? Is that an exclusive position, or can you believe that both Torah and science can be mushed together seamlessly? Okay, I didn't say seamless because it's never it's never going to be that simple. But yeah, can they be reconciled? Can they be reconciled? Mm-hmm. I don't think for anybody it's going to be seamless, but. Um, So I have really one major point to to say tonight. I, the rest of it can we can conjecture and talk about. And if you want to ask, you know, other major questions here, there's plenty to ask. But I, I want to so see many we can, questions. Yeah, I want to see if we can focus on this. First of all, I just want to say before before we say what what our major point is here tonight, um, I want to say that um, in in the in the in the religious tradition of Judaism, the assumption is that. Um, that the Torah itself is basically timeless. So it doesn't matter what context you find yourself in, there's always something that can be learned because it wasn't, that can, that's impacts on your life. Mm-hmm. So, so, so there's regardless of the context of like how far back in history you go and how far and what, what you know, time frame you're talking about, it doesn't really matter. You can be talking about the, that there was light you know, and then and then there was a void. You know, all of those things are written post facto. In other words, they're written much later, reflecting back by Moses, by Moshe, reflecting back on these times to teach you something that you can learn today about that, but also about your life using that as a vehicle. Mm-hmm. So you're going to learn things about all kinds of amazing things about light and darkness and what they mean and even you know very ephemeral issues that somehow impact on your life sometimes of course when you're talking about my separation you're talking about the original creation there's going to they're going to be very esoteric some of the some of the ideas but some of them are going to be very basic like well there was a moon and there was a sun first there was a moon and a sun it doesn't doesn't say what it was called but it says that there were two luminaries and then all of a sudden there was a big one and a small one and then the way the interpretation goes is that well, there was originally two luminaries, but then there was like they they they, they got into this like uh, disagreement, <laughs> so to speak, of like how could there be two? You know, there sh- there should only be one because if the, if there's two luminaries, then then it uh, it's so it's, it's like having two rulers. You can't have two rulers, so so the so the one who was going to be the moon who suggested that was told okay. So you get small, and you'll be just in, in the nights. You know, you'll just illuminate the darkness, whereas the sun will be like the major dude. He's like providing what you know the sun can do. 
So what are you supposed to do from that story? Or what are you supposed to do from that, like, uh, beyond the text type of uh, analogy or beyond the text type of type of uh, understanding or, or, or legend is, is, uh, is analyzed in a way that like, you know, it has to do with humility and the sun and the moon and what the sun and the moon mean and what they represent and what they symbolize and that how you can look at the sun and the moon differently and understand that these are um, certain, you know, uh, let's say characteristics that are infused in the world and you can inspire yourself with even through the natural world. Mm-hmm. This is all from the beginning, but I'm saying Barishas goes through a whole bunch of different um, creations from the the beginning. Or you're saying moon and summer. Then there's also man, and then there's the Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, um, and generations after that. And I was just with with the girls again, thinking how um, I actually gave it to them as a challenge for um, for next week our class. But um, I thought this uh, Parsha actually already informs us so much about the dynamics of relationships and taking responsibility and blame and accountability. Um, so going back to how, you know, we we're coming from this assumption um, and belief that Torah is always relevant to us, no matter where we are today in life or where we were or what it's talking about. Um, I think like in general, that's, that's why we're doing the podcast. I think we really do believe <laughs> That um, some you can go through the the reading and kind of just be like, what? <laughs> why is what? Why is this at all relevant? And this is so archaic. And why is this important? Um, or we can go through it and really try to glean glean the values, glean the meaning, glean the purpose, and really apply it to ourselves. Which is why I'm so excited that we're doing this, and why in general I, I've been getting so excited about learning uh, the weekly parsha and doing it with other people as well. So. Okay, so uh, yeah, I think we have to be honest, and I think also if we want to be inspired by by something beyond ourselves, we have to try to not foist our ideas on the text. Also, that's important to mm. mention that now that you're saying that, because it's not about just looking in a mirror. If if you want to use a book to to look in a mirror with, so then that's not what we're talking about. Studying the Bible to study the. The text is really to open yourself up to new ideas and to really, really try to hear what it's what is being said. Um, that being said, that's not really what we're going to do tonight. We're not going to analyze any particular text, or, but we're just going to talk about in general this idea of there being um, um, uh, a creation narrative. Like, wh- what's the point of the creation narrative? Mm-hmm. What is what? what and in general, like, what do we get out of that? Mm-hmm. Oh, also, then I guess before. Just also another little blurb, but um, also I think important, as we also said about asking questions and not being able to answer all the questions, um, I think it's very important, um, not just as Jews, but as individuals, to be very comfortable with asking big questions. Um, even though you don't have the answers. Even, yes, exactly, without necessarily having the answers. Um, not to be afraid to yeah. ask the questions, even though you, in the back of your mind you're like saying, I don't know where this is going. Or if if I'm if I don't understand this, or if I really admit to myself that I don't get it, or maybe I think that there's there's like you know this doesn't make sense, then why am I doing everything that I'm doing? Someone who starts questioning why God wrote um, why God wrote the Torah the way He did, or if you know when in that classic controversial 
um, peace and voracious where God seems to be talking to an audience. And then there's this whole question of like, what does that mean? So, I mean, God was talking to the to the angels. Who, who does that mean? Was there there other gods? There's so many questions that could pop up um, in general when you're reading when you're reading the text. And I think it's one of those things that you always, if you want to really uh, take the learning that you're doing seriously, you have to be able to ask hard questions without fear that asking those questions is going to mean that you're going to just totally lose yourself and have to give up on things because you don't understand. Right? The ability to hold hold questions and and have them there simultaneously while you continue to involve yourself in learning and in the belief that just because you don't have the answer today doesn't mean that there is no answer. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so, I, I mean, I feel that um, honest inquiry is uh, very important. I think it's, it's one of the things that I'm dealing with also in one of the classes I'm giving it is like um, how what kind of limits or are there limits to what we think about and what what we explore in our minds are uh, there or should there should there be limits in other words if a person if a, let's say a person says look uh i really want i, I it's really important that i love my wife right mm-hmm. so i don't want to think about her faults too much because if i do i'm going to end up not loving her so much like, what would you say if somebody told you that? Would you say to that person, well, um, look, it's important to be honest. You know, you need to know your wife uh, very deeply. And if that means exploring her faults, so that means uh, that's important, uh, it should be important to you. That might create a little bit of a downer for a while, but in the end, you'll have a deeper, you could have a deeper relationship if you're able to get a, over that those things and see her for what she really is right mm-hmm. so ooh, you know it's a hard sell if you translate into religious terms you know as far as belief that's basically the same thing like if a person believes in god and he has you know the basis to believe in god and he really is strong to, to the extent that he's willing to look for ways to deepen his relationship to god Sometimes somebody will say, you need to be honest with yourself and, and understand that if you're going to go explore certain parts of life that you are, you are going to have a very hard time with understanding, um, at the end, you're not going to be, with this activity, enhancing your relationship with God. So if you want to maintain that relationship, you just know that you're risking it now. And so one of those moments is actually the story of the creation, where we have a tradition in the Mishnah that says that the study, the in-depth study of the creation is something that should not be done haphazardly with whomever. It should be done in a very serious fashion with the person who could really teach you, and it shouldn't be done in multitudes of people because there's always going to be misunderstandings. Just like when you walk into a classroom, you always know there's going to be 30% of the people are like, what? And then there's going to be another 40% that are like, they're going to think that they know what you mean, but really they don't. <laughs> even though they're, they're engaged. You know, so I'm saying it's not something that you should be de- delivering uh, classes about in public. Right? That's how sensitive it is. Because ultimately a person could say, well, what yeah, What was before the creation? You know, so Right, because it starts saying that there is water. Right, what was before? <laughs> and, and what was before was, you know, the, the mission has different ways of expressing the things that we don't understand. But basically, there are certain things, even with 
after all of our modern science, we still don't understand mostly everything. I mean, <laughs> we, we, we start, we made a good start, you know, but there's just stuff that we just don't, I mean, most of the stuff we don't understand. I mean, it seems that we understand everything, but we really is, we're just scratching the surface. Mm -hmm. We don't know why things are the way they are, <clears throat> right? Science will try to describe that, well, these, these particles react this way in the, under certain temperatures under certain circumstances and contexts. So therefore, that's what we can report that they'll probably continue to act that way in other similar conditions. That's all you can say. The scientific method will only observe and report and predict, but it can't, it can't know why the things are that way. Why does a particle look the way it does? You can say, well, the function of it is very useful, but it could have been a different way. Yeah, I mean, could have been. Mm -hmm. So there's just, you know, there's much more that we don't know. Of course, you have to be humble about that. And um, and therefore, um, we're, we're stepping into a place where, um, it, you know, in the beginning of the Torah, that's a little bit um, sensitive, let's say, mm -hmm. sensitive, because... Person shouldn't deal just like haphazardly with these issues if, if unless a person really, really studies them. And even then, there's always an, a dose of of humility that's necessary. Just to be honest, I'm not even talking about a person who wants to end up being a stronger believer, like we said before. Just a person who should who wants to be honest. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I and I think something we can learn from the scientific method and from scientists that if they're honest, you can tell that they're being honest. They won't outhandedly, offhandedly say, there is no theory of God that makes any sense. They won't say that. They'll say it's, it's an option amongst other options, right? We don't know other options, or we don't know, we, maybe we can't explain the other options, but we can, if we wanted to come up with other theories to explain the theory of existence, maybe we could, they would say. We just haven't gotten there yet. Mm -hmm. So that's where it ends off, basically, between the conversation between science and, and, and religion. All, all I want us to add to this conversation is the following, something I always say, which to me um, actually actually came up in a conversation with some people tonight in Jerusalem. We were talking about evolution, and I, you know, the traditional line is that evolution is anti-religion, yeah. right? And I have the exact opposite position. I feel that I am an evolutionist because I believe in God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, the reason why I think that is because I have not heard a creationist theory that stacks up to the amazing, amazing, incredible, incredibleness <laughs> <laughs> of creating a world through what we call the process of the Big Bang, you know, through evolution. Mm -hmm. In other words... If you want to assume that there's a creator, right? If you believe in God and you believe that, that he created the universe, you can basically, in a, on a, on a, explain simply, you can ex explain him intervening on a consistent basis to do what the Bible seems to be, seems to be, be describing when it says, and then there was this, and God said this, and God called out that, and he called this that, and you know, he called... Uh, the earth and Aretz and the the heavens he called Shamayim and the, you know and the, and then there was the 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 the, the plants and he made the this and so every day there's an intervention to create stuff 
And I feel that for me to imagine God doing that versus me imagining God going like, whatever that would mean, but making that original uh, energy, or whatever you want to call that original thing that existed, that didn't exist before except Him, right? There was only God, and then there's some existence, some flash, some particle, some atom, some quark, whatever you want to call it, the smallest, 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 smallest uh, beginning of existence. And that from, from that beginning of existence was, uh, was born an entire physical world that includes all of the universe. That's a much cooler God. It's pretty magnificent. That's that's a cool God. You know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> I always use the example of like a, a computer programmer. If, if a computer guy makes a software, right, and he he gives you instructions how each step of the software that you're introducing into your company, he has to come back and like type in some more you know coding or whatever it is so that it can get to the next. You know, and then he called, comes back a week later, so he could do some more, so he can do some other jigamoos in your in your company, as opposed to a guy who gives you like a little, I don't know, he he sends you something by email that's like one little thing, you press it, and then the whole, you know, your whole company becomes animated with with this thing. It's just like, to me, I, I think it's like so brain, it's it's like so such a non no brainer, like. I, you know, and I even mentioned it to some people who are very traditional type thinkers, and they looked at me like, "Yeah, I never thought of that." You know, like isn't that isn't that even more of a praiseworthy thing to attribute to God that He was able to do that? Why do you assume that just because you go back billions of years, wherever many years you want, does that take away from from what we understand to be creation. I, I think it's good to make a double click here because I, there is a reason why people, I think, knee-jerk reaction to this is like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a second. And I think that has to do with that if you if you contemplate creation as being something that started like who knows how many of our human years ago, mm -hmm. right? However many years, right? And then somehow that creation, even though God foresaw it all, foresaw it happening, foresaw the whole development of everything from, from you know, amoebas to thing that could have taken millions of years because God's got no rush, you know? It's like, could have taken a million of human years and da 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 because that's what we see it would have taken in our years, right? And then it got to, like, some primitive primate, you know, primates and then monkeys and then, and then humans appear on the scene, right? So that's when it starts getting complicated. Because first of all, people feel like they don't feel that closeness to God as if God came and like he made us, you know, like mm -hmm. he took some clay out of his pocket <laughs> and he kind of like smished it around and he like caressingly formed our skulls. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. I'm being, I'm like exaggerating, but basically... It, it makes God so, so distant that I think that's what makes people so uncomfortable with it. I think that's one of the problems that you people You think really that's what it is? I feel like so. Pe I feel like <clears throat> people don't really even think about that. Yeah, they want God here in their pocket. That's the problem. I, I think, for me, it's a problem that that's what we want. But because, and I think we have to, 
we have to reject that desire and we have to allow God to be God and us to be creations and humans. And if God's God, so then he is beyond any contemplation of real contemplation that a person can do, right? So therefore, but, but I think that's what really what bothers people is that <clears throat> how can you have, you know, something that, was, that in our frame of reference took place like who knows when and then there was no, and then that was it. And it was all known back then. It was like, it was all just like, and then everything was known, all of everything. We're not going to talk about human history because that gets into free will and stuff like that, but that's going to be a separate issue. Mm-hmm. But, but just creation as creation, right? That there was going to be a frog and then there was going to be a snake and then there was going to be a this and there going to be a that and all these very complex uh, organisms that it was all known. And especially once you get into the creation of man, you're going to say, oh, well, so then we came from apes, really. Mm-hmm. So we really do come from apes. So then what, what, in what moment is the man cognizant of the fact that there's a God? At what moment does man become man where he recognizes that there's God and then he becomes like a cognizant human being? Mm-hmm. To which I say, what difference does it make? Whenever that happens, that's when the story of the Torah starts. That's where existence as we know it and history as we know it starts. Mm-hmm. When it becomes that man who is able to reflect on his own reality, that's when our time starts. That's when human history starts. Meaning because really it's irrelevant before that. Yeah, before you have a human being who can recognize that there could be a creator, so then you have nothing, really. You just have a bunch of animals, mm-hmm. even though they're complex organisms. But the point of the Bible, and this is what, I, what we're trying to get to over here, is that we, we need to tell the story of creation because the story of creation is about um, mankind. It's about human life. That it's about that how everything starts with, with human life. And that everything before it is almost insignificant until mankind comes on the scene. Mankind is cognizant, um, conscious beings that are able to reflect on their situation. And that's where you start having the dialogue. And that's where you start having the whole basic, you know, first episode of the story of the Torah is where you have man. And that's why the, and that's why the, uh, we're not going to be able to explain all this now, but basically there's two episodes in the beginning. There's chapter one and chapter two. Chapter one just describes it in general and talk, and it gets to, to man. And then, you know, there's the seventh day. And then it goes again. It says, Ela Sefer Toldo to Adam. This is the story of man in chapter 2. And chapter 2 is really saying, chapter 1 is a background, and chapter 2 is really where time starts with man. I think that's part of the message that's being offered there. And that's an important, very, very basic message for us humans, because what it's saying is that a human life is the essence of creation. Human life is the essence of existence. Without human life, without cognizant human life, there is no existence. There is no significance to anything if there's no cognizant human life. And, you know, that's might come as a surprise to some people. 
I can imagine the outrage. Well, I don't know how far they go with it. You know, you're talking about animal rights people and stuff, but some people get so crazy that they 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 put the lives of animals before humans. And I think the Torah is basically saying is that this whole endeavor that we're talking about, about spirituality, about purpose of life and everything like that, is totally worthless if you don't understand that the entire, entire, entire creation, which could have started billions of billions of years ago in our time, by God making existence, was because God wanted to have a cognizant being that would be able to understand him and recognize him and receive the goodness that a person could consciously receive as a human life, as, a, as an organism that can appreciate it. You, if I said, okay, let's stop that tape. Let's say that creation stops on day three. There's just plants. Whoop-de-doo. So God didn't, what did God create? Plants. But the plants, what do the plants do? Do the plants think? There's no evidence that plants think, right? <clears throat> so how would, how would the, the story of creation ever stop there? You understand? Like, let's say, Let's say I want to make you a birthday party, right? And I invite all your friends and your relatives, and I put out all the stuff there, but I don't invite you. <laughs> I'm going to be partying by myself. You, so you don't even know you have a party. So, like, what did I do? I, I'm trying to give you something, and you don't even know that I'm giving it to you because you don't even exist. Mm -hmm. Like, what would God be doing if he would... If I'm saying, if we're talking about design, we're talking about purpose, and we're talking about God, what would be the purpose of God creating anything to a world that doesn't appreciate what, who it is or what it is that created them? Mm -hmm. So the whole endeavor of creation doesn't make any sense until you have a conscious being. And that, I think, is the number one, number one message in, in the story of creation. Mm-hmm. That, Which I think also yeah. then leaves us with then if you, again if you want to make it just very bite sized takeaway, um, is then it would seem to be that Bracious is all about is all about awareness. If you're saying that the purpose of creation really only starts when you have intelligent human beings that can acknowledge and be aware of the existence of God, then the key word here is awareness. Okay, you can say that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you, you want to create a takeaway to say that if you want to be human and justify, so to speak, in commas, creation, then the more conscious you are, the better. The, the closer you are then to the purpose of creation. Of creation, right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I, 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 you know, we can be human, but we can be sometimes unconscious. So we're not really living. And when you're not really living, you're not really justifying creation, really. You're not, you're not the purpose of creation. So to the extent that you walk around and eat your cheeseburgers or whatever it is you're eating all day and think about things that are pretty meaningless, and you're not really conscious, you're just like going through the motions, you're not really fulfilling the purpose of creation. Mm -hmm. This is just so nice because it ties right into the idea of the class on prayer that I'm giving with the girls in uh, the seminary. Um, to me, like this is like call, kind of falling so perfectly into the idea of the way we start prayer with uh, Modi'ani. Because the way I see Modi'ani, at least, is 
it's about awareness. I'm alive. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm we're, alive. We're, we're recognizing that at the most basic level, there is existence. Kind of like what we're saying now, there's there's existence before per, before man. Thank you for returning my soul, existence. But then there is what you're thinking is also then you're recognizing that that we stand before God and that God returned to us life. So there's this really beautiful, you know. Recreation. Yeah, like every day. You're kind of like voracious every day. There was creation, you're alive, and then there's recognition and awareness of, of who you are. And what you are and what your purpose is and who, before whom you're standing and what the point of life is. Yeah, and I bring that down even further, like way down, way down. <laughs> That's why I, I started drinking coffee in the morning that early, even though I don't think it's so good for you, but that early for me anyway. But like, I, it's just a different thing. When, I, when you're awake and conscious, I mean, the things that go on in your minds, awareness, the feeling of being alive, it's just... It's worth a little bit of indigestion from the coffee in the morning, <laughs> a little bit of a sour stomach. But to me, anyway, it's it just it's crazy. It's true. When you know we have this this prayer, the prayer is all about awareness, like you're saying. It's all about self awareness. You know, it's about reflecting on your life and who you are and what you want to do and where you want to go. It's like to do that, like in a dead, you know, in a state of stupor you know sleep stupor hangover it's really it's really uh it's a it's a it's a shame it's a waste it's a waste all right Woo. yowza all right <laughs> and with that we just did our first podcast on the f beginning of the torah yeah this is cool <laughs> well we hope that this gave you all a lot to think about um definitely give me a lot to think about it's fun it's the more the more we talk about things the better you understand them sometimes i feel like we don't want to hear things that we've already heard because it's like oh i already know that already but i think that there's always more you can learn about the same things um so yeah it's also like i guess a nice message to bring into as we start a whole new cycle of reading torah every week like, you know, why are we reading the same Parsha every week? Um, because with repetition comes more learning and familiarity and closeness and intimacy. And understanding. And understanding. Yeah. Don't take yourself, don't cut yourself short. Just because you think you understand something, if it's really something worthwhile exploring, there's always more to understand. Just have to ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. So take away being here awareness and ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good Shabbos, everybody. Bye-bye. Why are we reading the same Parsha every week? Um, because with repetition comes more learning and familiarity and closeness and intimacy. And understanding. And understanding. Yeah. Don't take yourself, don't cut yourself short. Just because you think you understand something, if it's really something worthwhile exploring, there's always more to understand. Just have to ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. So take away being here awareness. And ask questions. <laughs> Have a good Shabbos, everybody. And that's a wrap, my friends. We hope that our conversation inspired you and gave you something to chew on. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, topics you'd be interested in discussing, and even triggers so we can generate more relevant and meaningful conversation. You can contact us at fdhp.feedback at gmail.com. 
and we are wishing you a blessed week and we'll catch you next time.